Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Nice Job, Painter Marketing Pros, and APC. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, the show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. In this series titled The Birth of a Giant, Brad Ellison of Ellison Painting will be discussing what it looks like to start a professionalized and profitable painting company from day one. It is a four-part series. In the first episode, episode one, we discussed Brad's decision to walk away from his previous partnership and the assets he found available to him. In episode two, Brad dove into what it looks like to launch a highly professionalized painting company from scratch. In episode three, this episode, Brad will discuss how to effectively build systems and processes that create a roadmap for future success. And in the final episode, episode four, Brad will elaborate on what it looks like to scale a painting company, both in terms of mindset and concrete steps. If you want to ask Brad questions related to anything in this podcast series, you can do so on our exclusive Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast forum on Facebook. Just search for Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast forum on Facebook and request to join the group or type in the URL facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash painter marketing mastermind. Again, that URL is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash painter marketing mastermind. There you can ask Brad questions directly by tagging him with your question so you can see how anything discussed here applies to your particular painting company. Brad, thank you so much for coming back to conduct this episode three with us, man. My man, happy to be here as always, Brandon. Excellent. So this, this episode is titled change the world. Um, Let's kind of start with, you know, the systems, the processes, what you would do to, to change the paradigm of your local market, man. Yeah. A couple of things we should address first. Let's do it. Uh, so we, I've been using this term, starting this company from scratch. And obviously I'm using that term kind of loosely, but uh, a couple of people online have actually mentioned like, let's be real. You didn't start from scratch, <laughs> right? Call out. Yeah. As, <laughs> I, admittedly, I ran someone else's company for five years, but yeah. I did really start Ellison Painting from scratch. No, there was no company. There was no marketing strategy. There was no painters. There was nothing. So technically, I would say I did start it from scratch, but I did have a lot of advantages. And the semantics um, here. The other thing, no one has mentioned this to me, but I do want to point out, uh, you chose to to name this "Birth of a Giant," which I jokingly suggested to you. No, it's the name. It's, it's, it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely it's a bold uh, a bold prediction. Um, yeah. and it'll be funny five years from now, we're either going to look back and I'm going to be Jason Paris 2.0 and be like, wow, we were right. We called or, it. 
or I'm going to be mowing lawn somewhere and be like, Hey, remember how quickly Brad Allison flamed out five years ago? So Dude, this is the, this is the Babe Ruth, you know, your, your point of the outfield, your call. That's right. That's right. All right, man, let's, let's get to it. All right. So how do you build systems and processes to create a roadmap for future success? Yeah. So the, the last episode we talked, um, it was kind of like the nuts and bolts. It's like, Hey, if you want to fly to the moon, what do you need to build the rocket just to assemble it? Right. So you got to source all the materials you got to, you got to put it together and now you have a finished rocket. What I think this episode, what we're going to be focusing on is, all right, you got your rocket. Now, how do you actually launch it at speed to clear earth's gravitational field in order to actually reach the moon? Right. So some, there's going to be some overlap because we talked about some of the systems that I think needed to be in place when you launch, like to actually assemble the company. And then now we're going to talk about how we're actually using those those processes and systems to to really launch quickly. Um, yeah. So so uh, I would say one of the things that's been very, very helpful for us to scale quickly has been um, simply software solutions and different tools that we're using. Uh, the number one software that's been really instrumental for us. And um, I want to assure you that I'm not being endorsed or compensated by Tanner Mullen. Just at use all. his coupon code. Make sure to use <laughs> Brad's referral code. You know, uh, is drip job. So it's, it's obviously it's a CR awesome. all encompassing CRM estimating tool, invoicing, scheduling, everything. Our good friend Tanner Mullen is the is the owner of that company and developer runs his uh, own painting company that's been successful yep. for a long time and he he has actually encouraged me he's like hey when you refer people over because I refer a lot of painters over to drip jobs he's like use the use the affiliate link I want to give you some money back I will never ever take money from Tanner for everything that he does for our industry uh I, just like I would never I would never take a referral fee for referring someone over to painter marketing pros um, anyways, off topic, drip jobs. What does drip jobs do? Drip jobs allows me to take all the, a bunch of tools that I was using with my previous company and get it all in one. So it handles lead intake. So when someone clicks on a get quote button on my website, it, all the information is entered automatically into drip jobs. Uh, after the lead is created, it helps with lead nurturing. So they're going to, um, until it, it's actually set as an estimate, they're going to get text messages and emails saying, Hey, I saw that you reached out for an estimate. Um, you know, how can we help you? Hey, you know, do you still need help with this project until it becomes an estimate? It's going to continue to nurture, uh, that lead. Yep. Of course it helps with estimates. Um, I think you've seen examples of how I've pieced together my estimates. The nice thing about drip jobs is it comes pre-populated with a lot of different, um, uh, some templates and stuff. I kind of tweaked those templates and made it my own. It's, it's a fully customizable, uh, platform. So you can create it however you want. But it it handles estimate delivery. It handles project management. So once an estimate is accepted and becomes a job, you can actually schedule it right within that CRM. You can see all the jobs lined up on a calendar. You can assign it to different crews. Uh, and then the last piece, of course, is once the job's done, it allows you to handle all the billing, invoicing, collections, bookkeeping. So it's it, it's a phenomenal tool. Um, it's it's ideal for smaller companies. And I'm hoping it'll, it'll, it'll be ideal once I'm into like the four or $5 million range. It's all in one. Um, I joke with Tanner that it's about 85% of what I really wish it would be, but that 85% is hundred percent better than any other option out there in my opinion. So yeah. have you, I've have never you found, I've never found anything, any software, anything that's hundred percent what I need. No. And you might, you might find a software that 
maybe you like a little bit better for estimating, but it doesn't do the the scheduling or doesn't do the invoicing or, or vice versa. You know, QuickBooks is great for for uh, billing and invoicing, and it, they do have some estimating software available, but it doesn't match DripJob. So for all in one, hands down, it's the best. Yeah. The second software that I use is um, a call forwarding system. It's called OpenPhone. And there's a lot of different phone services available out there. Uh, OpenPhone, what I use it for is simply call forwarding and texting. So when someone calls my office line, it's just a fake number that OpenPhone created for me. It's the number that's on all my lawn signs. It's on all my vehicles. It's on all my shirts. Uh, and they can call. They can speak to me if I'm able to answer the phone, which I'm usually not. Uh, they can send a text, they can leave a voicemail. The best thing that it's done for me, Brandon, honestly, is the auto text responder. So if I don't pick mm -hmm. up, which, which I'm going to be honest, I don't remember the last time I've actually answered the phone when someone called. Uh, so people are calling your painting company. It's going to voicemail every time. It's going straight to voicemail, oh but they're also getting God. that. I know they're getting that oh auto text goodness. right away. And the auto text simply says, Hey, sorry to miss your call. If you're trying to schedule an estimate, click this link. Uh, and someone will get back to you right away. And right, you're like a heathen right now. On this I know, show. I know. And I've definitely, definitely <laughs> had a lot of my leads fall through the cracks. Yeah. Right? That, that just, and I, I do, if, if they don't go to drip jobs to request an estimate, I do follow up eventually, Yeah. but it's, it saved me the additional expense of having an admin, someone to answer the phone. Cause I don't right now, I don't have the the call volume or even the, the additional tasks that need to get done that necessitate having an admin. Yeah. I will, this, I will this spring. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm going to bite the bullet and start, I'm going to incur that expense before um, I actually need it. And that person will be tasked with answering the phone every time someone calls. And for anyone, anyone listening that auto text backs, just when, when they call and he doesn't answer, it's something, you know, Hey, thanks. Thanks so much for calling us and painting. Sorry, we missed you. How can we help you? Right. Something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Correct. That's exactly what it is. Yep. So it looks like at least, hey, someone reached out right away and then they can communicate, hey, this is what I need. And now the ball at least is rolling. That's very different from they called, they got a voicemail, uh, may or may not have left a voicemail. And then they're just left wondering if you're actually going to get back to them. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Cool. Um, another software I think we've talked about before is Company Cam. Yep. So Company Cam is software used to take pictures. Uh, I use it for estimates and job site pictures. Uh, we use it for project management. So this is something that we just implemented for our, our crews. The crews are expected to add photos as the work progresses. So every day, they got to take five, literally five minutes, walk around the job site. Here's what we got accomplished by the end of the day. Um, and that's been really nice. The customers have a live timeline link so they can follow along. And anytime they click that link and see all the photos within that stream. Um, but really what's What's been most important and the the big point, the big selling point that we used in um, as, when we asked our subs to start using it is when they start the job, when they first come on, we ask them to walk around the property and take pictures of anything that a customer might eventually say we broke or was our fault, mm -hmm. right? So if there's damaged screens, if there's, uh, you know, Nick to a, a, some damage to a wood floor, that stuff is... They take a picture, it's timestamped automatically so we can see when it was taken. And so at the end of the job, they say, hey, we're really happy with what you guys did, but hey, it looks like someone dropped some tool on the wood floor and it took a gouge out. And so I'd like you to pay to have that refinished. Well, we can look back through the pictures and see, well, 
this picture was taken before we even unloaded our tools. Right? Yeah. So it's unfortunate we have to do that. Um, and most of the time it's never going to come into play, but our painters have been burned enough times. And I've certainly been burned enough times where the customer says that we did something, the crew who I trust and appreciate and love says, Brad, we definitely did not do that. And I still end up having to discount a job or write a check for something. So it just avoids that. And it just takes the blame off us. Right. Yeah. Quality uh, assurance there and making sure that things are transparent on both ends. Mm -hmm. So those three tools there um, are kind of the software solutions that I use and what that, that, how that's allowed me to scale is that even from my very first estimate, I am, I am viewed as this highly professionalized, big painting company, even though it was just me and my wife and one subcontracted crew at the time, they would see, I had my truck branded and it allowed us to appear much bigger than we were. And it also allowed us to have the systems in place. So as we actually scaled from one crew to two crews up to now eight, um, and now, you know, official employees and whatnot, we were able to to not have to change any of our processes or any of our systems. It was, it was built to scale. The last thing that I do want to mention, this is going to seem really, really silly. And I don't have the data to, to show that this actually makes any difference, but um, I use a laser measure and I actually have one. I always keep one in my pocket. Um, it's a, it's a Bosch laser measure. Uh, most of my interior estimates I base off square footage of floor space which we can have that argument off or at another time, not between you and me, but everyone else that says you can't, yeah. you, you can't estimate interior jobs using square footage. There's too many factors. Yes, I understand. I've done 8,000 estimates in the past six years. I figured out <laughs> how to do it, uh, but I keep the laser measure. And when I'm walking around a house, even if I don't need the measurements of the room, I still use the laser pointing at the walls. And I can't tell you hundreds of times people have said, Oh my gosh, that's so neat. Is that measure the the square footage? And I say, yep. And they're so wowed by the fact that a painter has something that's perceived as high technology that it automatically sets me apart from someone. It also, uh, it, it also reduces and actually eliminates the risk of me scratching someone's wood floors with a tape measure. Mm. All right. I did. I made that mistake my very first year, my very first month doing estimates. And I will never, ever, ever do that again. So it's $50. I think it's a nice little tool. Does, do you need it to scale? No, but get a laser measure. It's awesome. Yeah. People love it. It's a good ROI. Yep. Man, that's, that's kind cool. of it for software and tools. <clears throat> yeah. I kind of want to, I kind of want to recap that. So what, what you did was, and we, I know we discussed some of this last episode was, was leveraging the technology that's available that didn't used to be available. And mm -hmm. it essentially gives you the resources and what you just described, the appearance, the image of a highly successful, highly professionalized company that has the resources to where a homeowner, a customer feels that they are definitely going to be taken care of. You have the backing. No one, you know, people say that they want local businesses and they do, but but people are uncomfortable if they feel like you don't really have the resources of a company because you're you're not going to be able to take care of them. If there's an issue, you might go out of business. If they're right, if if there's um if there another project comes up, maybe you can't get back to them. You can't, you can't correct something, but if you can kind of show them, lend this perception that you have all these resources, even if maybe you kind of don't at that point, the trust factor goes up and you can right. do that through simple, affordable automations that you invest into uh, as opposed to needing to hire more and more people. And as you said, it's scalable. So when you grow, you can actually continue to use those same pieces of software. So you kind right. of become a big company almost from day one in a way. 
Yeah. And it, the perception of course, is that I'm this big professionalized company, which I am now, but I wasn't then, but the three months later you're there. It, it, yeah. it took <laughs> but you forever. The, the reality is for that suite of software solutions, you're looking at under $300 a month. So literally anyone listening to this podcast should be able to afford that. And it, it's yeah. a, it's a game changer right off the bat. Yeah. And all this stuff, I mean, laser measures is fairly easy, but there's, there's onboarding, you know, I know drip jobs does onboarding. They'll actually help you learn the software and everything. So just, mm -hmm. if you're, if you feel afraid of the tech um, company cam open phone, you know, just use mm -hmm. it and, and actually work with their team and they'll teach you how to use it. So you don't have yep. to be a software guru to use this stuff. Yeah. The one, the, there actually is one more software solution that we implemented more recently that I, I hadn't put in my list here. And I don't know how I didn't think about it. Um, when it was just me and my wife, we didn't worry about uh, like HR payroll. You just write yourself a check any, anytime you want. And then your accountant, you know, kind of fixes it <laughs> on the back end. Figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've started to use Gusto. So now uh, Gusto is a, uh, basically a, a time tracking payroll HR solution that uh, we use now for me and my uh, project manager, Ron. They provided all the onboarding support. So Ron, I just sent him a link. He goes, puts all his information, sets up everything up for taxes. Uh, and then once a month, I run payroll, pays directly from Gusto through my checking account. It is a brilliant solution that also is going to allow me to scale as we add more employees. Yeah. Love that, man. Yeah. Getting taken care of all that back office stuff, mm -hmm. um, which is easy to get tripped up on if you don't proactively do it. And then the laser measure is something I want to touch on too. So this, this $50 tool, um, again, it lends this perception that you are, are just, you're different right? You have mm -hmm. to be, and that's what we're all about, right? The, the podcast, Painter Marketing Mastermind Pocket, like how do you differentiate yourself? How do you not go out there and compete on price? Because if you're viewed as a commodity, then at the end of the day, if you're not the cheapest, there is no reason for somebody else to hire you. So how do you mm -hmm. differentiate? And doing things like that, obviously have the right service, obviously take care of people, but you know, people don't always necessarily know that. That's where you get into review generation and referrals and things like that. Mm -hmm. But on the front end, you're things that you can do to implement in your sales and marketing system that will differentiate you right there. And that $50, even if you already have the information, you pull it out and you shoot the laser anyways, because now the homeowner's like, wow, this guy really has it dialed in. He really has it figured out. For sure. And I've actually gotten a lot of pushback online uh, through our painting contractors Facebook group when I mentioned the, the laser measure or even just basing pricing on square footage. You know, they say, if you've been in the industry more than a year, you should be able to look at a room and know how much it's going to cost, which is true. I, I can look at a room yeah. and say, all right, that's an $800 room. That's a $1,200 room, et cetera. Um, but the customer feels some sense of peace knowing that my estimate is going to be based on something other than me eyeballing it. Yeah. Licking your finger and, and kind of sticking in the air and, and then giving right. them a price is the worst thing you can do right. from their mind. They are not a painter. A painter. They're not a painting right. contractor give them the peace of mind that you're doing it the right way. Mm -hmm. I can look at the room and say, eh, it's probably about $800 room, or I can take out the laser measure, bingo, bango, pull out my phone, need to do calculator. Uh, yeah, this is $800. Yeah. Now it's based on something. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. Otherwise people feel like maybe you're, maybe you're quoting it wrong and they're going to, you're going to take a dive and you're going to leave them hanging yep. or you're uh, ripping them off. You yep. just kind of charge them whatever you feel like in that room. Yeah. Agreed. Cool, man. So those, those are some softwares um, that you're using that you can use from day one, cost you under $300 and uh, anyone can use them. SOP, standard operating procedures. Let's get into yeah. it. So have you heard of this guy from Minneapolis named Nick Slavic? 
Nick Slavic painting Slavik. restoration. I think you pronounce it Slavic. Slavic. Nick Slavic. Yeah. Uh, he is big on these SOPs. So that stands for yeah. standard operating procedures. Uh, he is obviously the most vocal proponent of SOPs within our industry, but SOPs are not specific to painting, of course. Uh, any business that wants to be run professionally, if you want to be able to grow, you want to be able to train, you need to have SOPs in place for all the major tasks that are going to be repeated time and time again. So it's, it's simply a step-by-step -step outline for those repeated tasks. It allows you to create reproducible uh, results yep. and training guidelines. So when you bring someone on board, you're not trying to figure out each time, how am I going to train this person? You don't have to do that. You're going to train them according to the SOP. So they know not only uh, you're going to teach them how to do things, but then they have those SOPs when they actually get out in the field uh, to produce paint jobs. They're following those same procedures they were taught during training. So SOPs are important in a lot of different fields. The painting, of course, is is important when you're if you're trying to train a painter, which I don't do. Um, I don't train painters. I recruit painters and then kind of train them our SOPs on, on what we expect as far as what we're selling to our customers. Uh, I train my SOPs uh, around things like sales, project management, billing collections, uh, even tracking data. So when I, I haven't hired a new sales guy yet, but I do have SOPs in place. I, I've simply outlined what, what are the step-by-step, -step, what, what's the step-by-step -step process by which I provide an estimate to a customer? Right. Yeah. It st starts, you know, step one is simply showing up on time. It's greeting the customer at the door, walking around. Here's the questions that you should be asking, you know, steps one through 15 or however many I have. Here's how to properly provide uh, a sales visit. Project management. Once a job is sold. Okay. What's step one? Well, step one is reaching out to the customer saying, Hey, I see that you accepted the estimate uh, through the portal. Uh, really looking forward to working with you. Here's what to expect moving forward. So if we have if we have SOPs in line for all these, not only are the expectations for the people that work for Ellison Painting uh, clearly laid out, there's no confusion about what they're supposed to be doing and how they should be doing it. But when we're talking about scaling, again, I'm not having to recreate the wheel every time I bring on a new salesperson or project manager. What I all I need to do is teach them the SOPs and equip them to do the job properly. Yep. How do you, do you have a certain method? So when you talk about using the SOPs to train or, you know, allow new people to kind of come and, and get started easily, how are you documenting this stuff? Is there, is there a software you're recording videos? What are you doing for that? So everything is just documented through, um, uh, through like actual, like Google sheets through our Google, Google sheets. Okay. Yep. And I know that I think Nick does similar things, his look way better than ours. Ours are simply like, honestly, like documents, right? Let's go one, two, three, four, five, all the way down to the bottom. Um, but he, Nick was in town this past week to do a masterclass. And one of the topics was SOPs. And he pointed out something which I actually follow without even realizing it. Um, a lot of people are, they're like totally daunted by this idea of creating SOPs. They think, well, I don't have a freaking week to go through and document every step. He said for, for the SOPs that you need to create, and there shouldn't be that many, it shouldn't take more than 45 minutes to create one SOP. Yeah which means if I wanted to just sit down from scratch and document my sales process, it shouldn't be an all day thing. I've, I've done again, 8,000 estimates over the past six years. 
I should be able to say, okay, what is the first thing I do? What is the second thing I do? You create it, you look at it and you say, all right, are, are all these steps necessary to be laid out? Some things are common sense. You don't need to say, okay, when you, when you pull up to the house, get out of your truck, walk to the front door, right? <laughs> Those things you don't need to be laid out. Uh, but start by step by step by step all the way to the, down to the bottom, review it, see if there's anything that's duplicated, anything that's um, uh, that's redundant or it's just not needed. And then start there. And SOPs are kind of like, they're never written in stone. Yeah, You might change them over time. Right now, my SOP says, uh, walk around the house with a customer, answer all their questions, and then let them go inside, get pictures, get your notes, take off and piece together the estimate. Well, my SOP, when I bring on new sales guys this spring, is going to include actually doing an in-home presentation. So my SOP obviously will have to change at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think some things, you know, are, are obviously you're going to have to get out of the car and walk to the house. But in terms of where you park, you know, if you don't want them going in the driveway, make sure you specify park on the street. So you kind of want to, you want to make it dummy proof without just being ridiculous. Put the left foot in front of your right foot while you're walking, you know. Correct. Correct. You know, one of the things that I do, and I would encourage everyone to do this if they hadn't thought about it, is uh, my tr my truck or my Jeep is is branded Ellison Painting. It's kind of striking. Uh, I make sure that when I pull up, obviously I'm not going to park in a driveway unless it's a circle drive and I'm not blocking anyone. But I always park in such a way that they can see my Jeep directly behind me as I knock on the door. Uh, I, I don't want there to be any confusion about who I am. All I got to say is, hey, Brad Ellison, Ellison Painting here for our estimate. Uh, now I wouldn't do that if I was driving some beat up old junker, right? <laughs> some people or a guy on a block away and walk, maybe, maybe. And there's no shame in driving those vehicles. Yeah. Um, but I would say, do whatever you think is going to help you have the best, uh, best result, whether that's in sales, project management, painting, if, if, if you're driving a beat up old van and you're kind of embarrassed about it, it doesn't paint the prettiest picture then maybe park it partially behind a tree and then go up <laughs> to the front yeah. door. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, these, um, these SOPs, so they're not written in stone. Don't be intimidated. Just start putting it down. It's something you can also build over time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you, if you, if you say, well, my sales process is actually going to take me a really long time. There's a lot that I do fine. Summarize it in the beginning, mm -hmm. right? Like, like, Oh, reaching out to confirm the appointment. Maybe you have five different things you do to confirm the appointment. Just say confirm appointment, at least get something down on paper because done is better than perfect. I find a lot of people just like you were saying, they just kind of feel overwhelmed. And so they don't really know how to start. Just put something down on paper and you can come back to it over time, but do not right. get paralysis by analysis with this stuff. And I think a lot of people, they hesitate to do this because it's just them and one helper. And what do they need an SOP for? They're, they're they, the they one who know how to do it. They already know how to do it. True. And if, if that's all you're ever going to be as an owner operator, then I, you could probably make that argument that you don't ever need it, but if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you're trying to figure out how to grow your business. Yep. And I would say it's better to have these things laid out ahead of time. Because uh, even if even if you end up not bringing someone on uh, as a sales guy or project manager for another year, it's still going to make you critically think, are you actually providing a service that you want to provide? Are there things that you're missing? Are there better ways that you could be doing something? You've done something over and over and over again, possibly just by habit without really putting any thought or reason behind it. Creating your SOPs is going to allow you to take a critical eye to every step of your process. And I think that's valuable. I love that, man. Yeah. It positions you to be able to hire a lot easier to build out your organizational chart, but also makes you look at what you're doing and doesn't make sense. You might be wasting time, 
might mm-hmm. be doing things that are kind of redundant or, well, that doesn't really make sense when I write it all down. Or mm-hmm. you might be, man, like you just said, the, I have this really nice van, this really nice truck and, and it's wrapped and, and I, I never think about putting it right behind me when I walk up to the door, that would probably make a difference if they saw it. And it kind of in the, in the back of their mind, I'm already different, you mm-hmm. know, cause they're already seeing, wow, this, this looks really professional. All right. I'm let's see what they have. Let's see what they're yeah. going to do here with this estimate. Bring out the laser pointer game over. Bingo, bango. Close rate. Go grab your checkbook. <laughs> yeah, it's all over, man. Right. Cool. So that that's SOPs. Um, super appreciate that, man. Let's get into, you know, SOPs. Obviously, one of the biggest benefits is it's setting you up for success with your organizational chart, your org chart. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear about kind of how you're building that out now. Sure. So when you when you launch a company, like when I launched, it was me and a project manager. It was me and my wife. Now it's me and uh, Ron, my project manager. There's really only two people that are taking care of everything except for the painting. But even so, we have an org chart that not only kind of lists, okay, Brad's the owner, he's in charge, and directly below him is is Ron. Uh, But it also lays out what our job responsibilities are. Um, it It allows you to start planning ahead for what your company will look like in the future. So we do have an org chart right now, which is simply me and Ron. But uh, under all those responsibilities for each of us, we've also dictated, is this a like a permanent um, uh, or a long-term responsibility of one of us? Or is this something that for now, you know, this is what we're going to do. So we have next to Ron and me, you know, sometimes in, in parentheses, it says admin. Well, when we bring on an admin, there's going to be a lot of tasks that I take care of, a lot of tasks that Ron takes care of that are going to be immediately transitioned to an admin. We're also working on building out an org chart for, you know, three years out and five years out. Where do we want, what do we want that our company to look like five years? We want to have that vision. Okay. Well, now I'm the CEO and maybe Ron at that point is the COO. And so while I'm still the owner and CEO, and I'm going to be at the top of the org chart, Ron's right there. And now Ron's got uh, hopefully dozens of people reporting directly to him. And in order to hit certain revenue marks, we know we're going to have, we're going to need uh, three or four salespeople. We're going to need four project managers. If we have four salespeople, possibly we need a sales manager. If we, uh, you know, if we have enough admins, maybe we need an office manager that's really going to be handling all that. Maybe we need an HR person. So we're building out that org chart with a view in mind for the future. And so as we add people, it just continues to adjust and um, evolve. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things, one of the strategies that that I'm particularly fond of is actually building out this org chart. So you guys right now have yourselves and all the different tasks that you're doing mm-hmm. is actually laying down. And, and like you just said, okay, if you have these number of salespeople, you know, maybe you need a sales manager. If you have this number of admins, maybe you need an operations manager. Um, and then actually actually building out these positions and then just putting your name. And there, there are plenty of things. Correct. I'm sure you can reach out to Brad in this Facebook group. I'm sure he's got resources. You can reach out to, to Jason, Nick, um, and actually just, okay, you have 20 different roles and your name's in all of them or mm-hmm. your, your name and one other person's in all of them. And then you can actually start to, to visually plan out which role you're going to gonna replace first. And kind of mm-hmm. like actually build out your roadmap. And then there's where you can actually get your hiring roadmap. And then you can start prioritizing your hiring phone. Mm-hmm. I agree what are your you. thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. And that's that's what we've done essentially. We did we don't have it like a tree like that. Mm-hmm. We do have it laid out with all the tasks that need to get done. Um, and then for the future, who you know, what type yeah. of role to take on those jobs. Um, to answer your hypothetical question, you know, for me, what am I planning to replace first? Mm-hmm. Well, first is admin. Like I 
I know I already admitted that I don't really answer the phone, but that is my responsibility. So that's <laughs> someone be, technically should probably. Someone, be yeah. Someone, someone is going to be answering the phone. Someone's going to be scheduling the estimate. Someone's going to be entering paint costs into our, um, into drip jobs so we can track our, our job costing. Admin is number one. After that is sales. I'm hoping to replace myself in sales within the next year or so. It's going to be hard for me because I really, I really enjoy doing estimates and um, I think I'm actually good at it. But I think that's going to be important for, for Ellison Painting to really become what I want it to be over the next few years. I'm going to have to release those reins a little bit sooner than I might be comfortable doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of the, that's something Jason Paris has talked a lot about, you know, mm-hmm. having to replace yourself and be willing to do that. So as you're as you're hiring these people out for these different positions, how do you have a process for how you keep uh, how you make sure that they're accountable to their position or how you're actually measuring their success? Yeah, so we are going through uh, traction right now as a team. Again, the team is just me and Ron. So we've uh, we've started implementing um, and using the weekly scorecards. So we, I think we have eight different measurables, things that can be tracked on a weekly basis that are important to know on a weekly basis, and uh, that's. I mean, that's a key for accountability. So, all right, all right Brad, I am responsible to uh, to interview one new subcontractor crew a week. Okay. How many did I interview last week? Zero? Okay. I, I failed last week. Missed it. Yeah. Yep. In order to hit sales goals, I need to give you know 20 estimates. How many estimates did I give? I gave 15. Okay, I'm behind. Uh, now, some of that is... Is that my fault or is that a, a result of decreased lead flow? Doesn't matter. It's it'll it shows us that we're falling behind in certain areas and gives us the opportunity to um, ex- explore what types of solutions we can implement to overcome those issues, whatever the cause may be. Yeah. So the score the scorecards number one, um, but we also operate uh, with performance based pay. Now, as the owner, of course, it's 100% performance-based pay. If the company doesn't perform, there's no money to pay myself. <laughs> but even, even with Ron as a project manager, his pay is also partially performance-based. So he's got, you know, he's got a, a base pay. He's got some additional benefits, you know, his truck and his um his iPad, his phone, all that. I, I pay for all that. But he has also paid a percentage of gross revenue for the projects he manages. So that's for me, I was always motivated by money, not because I wanted to be rich, but I knew that I could perform in my job better than most. And so I wanted to be reward more than, rewarded more than most. So that's uh, that's one of our core values is merit-based opportunity. So that performance-based pay, I think, is going to be um, a part of every single um, comp plan for every single one of our employees, I hope. Yeah. And I mean, what you just said for you, it was important because you felt confident in your role. And so you wanted that. So having something, having a merit-based payment system is probably going to help you attract A players, the kind of people who want that. Sure. Gives you if, it's one, if it's one of my core values, it's the people that just want to come in and, and punch a clock and get an hourly rate. Uh, if they don't value performance-based opportunities or um, merit-based opportunities, then it's going to weed them out during that process for sure. Yeah. Saves you the the bad hire. Mm-hmm. That doesn't fit. Um mm-hmm. Cool, man. So going going to into this performance based pay, how are you? Um, I guess how are you structuring that? How how is that working with the margins of your job uh, in terms of job costing? Obviously, you're you're having to build that in somehow. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we tr- we budget uh, between seven to eight percent for project management. So when we were putting together the the comp plan for Ron, I essentially gave him a few different options. You know, here's a lower monthly base. 
uh, with a higher revenue share uh, and vice versa, higher monthly base, lower revenue share. Uh, but it, it all kind of evens out to within that seven to 8% range. If, if he choose, if he decided to choose the lower monthly um, a base pay with a higher percentage, then it could actually end up being higher than eight percent if he really uh, overperforms, which would be great. I'm happy was this, to. Was this like a trick question? Like if he chose the higher the higher base, and you're like, all right, you're not the right guy. No, 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 because he I knew he was the right guy. Um, yeah, Ron's actually a good friend of mine. Okay, and uh, he was coming from a, a totally different industry, and. I think that, you know, he's got a family and a new baby. And so he, he ended up going at the middle of the road. Yeah. Got it. A little bit safer, which is fine. Um, you know, I, for me, I'd be like, oh, can we do a hundred percent commission? Right. <laughs> most people he's, are not. Uh, he's a little like, bit, you know, a little bit, not quite like you, I guess in there. Most, most people aren't. Yeah. That's okay. You're, you're off the deep end, but that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how we based it. So we, he's got a pretty decent base pay that I am over. I'm paying over market for Ron as a project manager. Um, doesn't mean I'm overpaying Ron for his ability. Yeah. That's definitely not the case. But uh, other companies may budget five to six percent for project management. I intentionally, for this first role, budgeted seven to eight percent to attract an A player that wanted to grow with the company. That's how I got Ron in. If I had offered him the five to six percent, I don't think it would have been enticing enough for him to come. Uh, so yeah, I, th I think that if you if you are willing to pay well, compensate people in the manner in which they want to be compensated and feel rewarded um, and prized, you can attract those A players. Uh, but yeah, I, I love performance-based pay. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to, I mean, what you're doing right here is an investment in your future, right? Mm -hmm. And and the, um, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to even bring it up. The people listening to this aren't like this, but you see comments in Facebook groups. I, I know there's some stuff in the paying contractors group I've seen like this, like, Oh, hey, why why pay that company to run your ads? You can just keep the money for yourself. Like this incredible uh, scarcity, uh, really ignorant mindset about, mm -hmm. about this, about how to invest into your business. And what you're doing right here, some people would naturally have this knee-jerk reaction. Well, why would you pay eight when you could pay five? That's 3% you could be pocketing. But you're paying eight because you know that he's going to get you to where you're going faster. You know, you don't have to worry about it. You're not going to have to replace him, which costs you time and money. You're not mm -hmm. going to have to step in and fix a bunch of things because again, costing you time and money because he screwed it up. He's going to just grow you there. So you're willing to take uh, a, a temporary, uh, I guess, slight reduction in your gross profit, your net profit, because you know, you have a long-term vision here. I think that's right. key. And I think a lot of people, would, their minds would be blown if they knew that I'm paying Ron over a hundred thousand dollars a year and I'm seven, my company is only seven months old. Yeah. But that's, that's the value that he has for me. Right. For and sure. And in your mind, your company is not, you know, it's not where it is. It's where it's going to be. Right. You know, like you well, same reason, same life. reason why I committed to spending $15,000 a month in marketing before I even had a one single job <laughs> sold. Right. Yeah. Uh, Bet, I, betting, betting on yourself. But I mean, if you have the yeah. systems, you have the processes, painting is a tried and true business model. Mm -hmm. We are not creating a brand new software. We're not creating a, a drug for cancer. You know, this, this stuff's tried and true. If you get the right team behind you, if you get the right processes, you educate yourself, uh, you, you almost can't fail if you do it the right way. Right. Yeah. So, so that Most actually people leads... are not going to succeed your, to your speed. I don't want to clarify that, but you can, but people could though. They can try. Absolutely could. They should try. And even if this is the same thing where if, if I could find a sales guy that can do 80% of what I can do, that's a big success. If someone tried to do what I'm doing and only did 80% of what I've done, 
that's still a massive success, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a big win. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's that right there too is is so key because you're saying if someone can do eighty percent, meaning they're they're not doing as well as you are, mm-hmm. so they do eighty percent, do four fifths as well as you do, that would be a huge win because you can replace yourself and you can focus on more things. I think sometimes people get caught up. And again, it's a scarcity mindset. Well, no one's going to do it as well as I'm going to do it. That 100% might be true for your for your company, right? For you, it's Ellison Painting. You're you're good at sales. You like sales. You like interacting with people. You have a ton of experience. So probably whoever you hire is not going to have the exact same close rate, or they're probably not going to be as good. But you are only one human being. You can't, if you want to get there, you have to kind of take a little bit of a reduction, I guess, in the effectiveness of that role to actually grow your company. And people need to understand that as a business. Right. And I think I'm self-aware enough to know that I think I'm a good sales guy, but I might not be the best sales guy for Ellison Painting. Nick Slavic, he said his his best year ever, he sold $1.7 million for his own company when he was the only mm-hmm. sales guy. Then he hired a new sales guy. And uh, I think that guy sold $2 million in his first year. And then he sold oh, $2.3 wow. million the next year. So there's someone that's selling better for Nick Slavic painting and restoration than Nick Slavic. Yeah. Well, that's powerful. Yep. Yeah. That'd be great. (laughs) That would be great. That's a huge win, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No pride lost there. That's excellent. Um, Dude, I would love to, I would love to actually get into, you know, we brought up the seven to 8% for your project management role. I would love if you could just open up um, about all your percentages in terms of how you job costs and, and where the, where those expenses lie. Sure. So I think when he when he gets to tracking margins, doing job costing, if you're not doing this, then you don't really know if you're if you're healthy. You don't know. You might be growing, you know, quote unquote growing. You're adding painters, but if you're not tracking margins, if you don't have budgets set for different things, I think it's very very difficult to actually look and say yes, we are succeeding. We are setting the stage for future growth or explosive growth. And so we really not only do we have budgets set aside for everything, uh, we, we track every single job. So every job's gross profit is tracked within, um, right now we have a spreadsheet. This is the one, one of the big things that drip jobs doesn't do. That is a downside for me, which I've talked to Tanner, they're going to have it eventually, but it doesn't do really in-depth data reporting. Right. So we, we track it on our own. We track every job's profit every job's gross profit. And then we, we check for trends. So those trends might be, um, what are the most profitable zip codes that we're working in? And if we see two, three zip codes that are high above everyone else, then maybe we're going to spend more money in marketing in those areas. Uh, are there, are there certain crews that are most profitable, not necessarily just in who's produced the most revenue, but the most revenue per day per worker, uh, which which crew is actually the most profitable when they're on one of our jobs? Uh, which marketing tactics are the most profitable? If there's one that's giving me a 15x ROI and one that's giving us a 5x ROI and we could switch money from the 5x to the 15x, we're going to track that. Track closing percentage. We track average job size. We track, um, I mentioned average revenue per worker per day. These are all, this is all the data that is really important to me. And we look at it on a weekly basis to kind of, constantly correct our trajectory. Do we need to give this crew more jobs or less jobs? Do we need to spend more money here or there? That's so that that manages our strategy. But when it comes to kind of percentage uh, uh, budget for different things, here's what here's what we do. We budget seven percent for sales. Now right now, sales is me. 
So uh, I pay myself to do sales. Um, now I don't do a percentage of, um, like, a. Uh, I don't do a, a commission per se. I just pay myself a salary, but my primary role is in sales. Now uh, we budget 7% for that. We budget between six to 8% for project management. And these are all budgets that hypothetically should, should scale with you. Right. So it doesn't mean when you have, if you're at one and a half million right now and you want to be at 5 million, you don't have to double the percentage you're going to spend on sales or project management. Uh, you may have to bring on more salespeople and more project managers, but that percentage should hold true for the entire organization. That makes sense, right? Yep. Okay. Um, marketing, we are at eight to 10%, which means if my goal every month is to sell 200,000, I got I to gotta spend 20 grand in marketing. Now we've been able to keep that under 10%. I think we're at seven or so percent right now. Other companies that have been around for longer and have this really strong reputation or really strong um, uh, organic Google presence can continue to get that marketing cost down lower and lower as you get more customers and you can sell to repeat client, repeat customers, the marketing spend is going to go down. But for a company like mine, that's trying to scale explosively eight to 10% for marketing. Um, labor, we budget 40 to 45% of the total job size back for labor. Uh, materials is not going to change from my company to most. We're at about 15%. But all that, if you kind of take those numbers and it ends up being the target net profit for us is 15%. So that's after I've already paid myself for my owner CEO roles and sales roles, 15% net profit is the money that should be left there that is mine to keep and do it with as I please. Yeah, man, that was nice. Thanks for thanks for being so uh, transparent about that. Mm -hmm. It was very nice for people. Um, all right, I, I kind of want to want to switch uh, gears here a little bit because uh, I know you have a lot of value to provide here. So, how do you communicate with your customers or prospective customers? Obviously, we're we're always kind of inundated. We can email, we can text, we can automate text, we mm -hmm. can call them, we can have like an automated call of some kind. What do you prefer? So I'm under the belief that people these days don't want to talk on the phone. Oftentimes they call just to, get... to you. They don't, <laughs> especially to me, but also in general, <laughs> I think when, when people see, you know, uh, you know, call to schedule an estimate, they'll call, but I think a lot of them are actually hoping just to leave a voicemail. They, they don't really want to talk to anyone. And uh, Nick Slavic, he doesn't even have a phone number available. You cannot speak to someone on the phone until you've requested an estimate through his website. Right. I think that uh, since people don't want to talk on the phone, this works in my favor because it allows me to automate a lot of the email and text processes to communicate with customers. And no one has to spend any time or energy to communicate with them. Right. We don't have to actually respond or communicate with anyone until we have someone active right within our um, uh, within our sales funnel. So we provide those text and email options for scheduling estimates. Uh, we ask when we, when a job is sold, when, when my project manager calls a customer or, or texts a customer, they ask, what is your preferred method of communication? Would, do you want us to call you every time? If so, we will. Otherwise we can operate via text and email. Most people want to operate via text and email, which is fine with me because that, that allows us to have a record of what was communicated, when it was communicated and by whom. Yeah. Right, but which team member actually communicated with them. And again, we don't run into this, this issue very often, but there is some, like, there is some situations where, oh, well, you know, Brad said this, or, or Ron told me that 
Well, if everything is documented in, in text or email, we don't have to say, oh, well, Ron, do you remember saying that? Ron's like, uh, let me just look at my email. No, I didn't say that. I actually said the exact opposite, right? So I love having that documentation. We can always refer, uh, revert back to that and refer back to that when we have a question. Yeah, that's great, man. That is definitely a bit a bit different, a bit mm -hmm. unique, but that's what you've noticed in your experience and, and what's working for you now. Um, so that's great. Yeah, people I'm really, I'm really considering switching to Nick's process where there's no, no, phone. no, no phone number anywhere. You go to my website, there's no phone number to call. If you want to speak to someone, you, you email through the website or you request an estimate directly through the website. Uh, I think it's brilliant. And then his admins only having to call people that have already reached out. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely going to save on time. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So that's how you're communicating. How are you handling uh, customer service, reputation management? Obviously that's a big thing. I did a, a round table not too long ago with Nick Slavik um, mm -hmm. and Oscar Winshurst of, of nice job on reputation management. I'd love to hear about how you're approaching that stuff. Sure. Uh, this cannot be stressed more strongly. If you're trying to scale, your reputation has to be phenomenal. Even though you feel like you have no reputation when you start, that's the best time to focus on your reputation because you're never going to have the opportunity to have a bad reputation if you do things right from the very beginning. Um, defense is a good offense. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And the same thing along, along customer service. So, so how do we, people ask, well, how do we get good reviews? Well, I'm really proud to say, so we launched in basically end of April, beginning of May. I think that we've completed 150 jobs and we have 50 five-star Google reviews. So one out of three projects we complete, we've gotten a five-star review. Awesome. Super proud of that. The, that's I mean, awesome. that's off the charts as far as industry average for how many reviews people are getting. It takes years and years and years for most people to get there. Right. It, it, and I'm, I'm truly blessed, but we, we, we put a lot of effort into it. So the number one way to get good review, this is, sounds so stupid, but I'm just going to say it because everyone needs to hear it. The number one way to get a good review is to actually provide exceptional service. If you are just providing paint service and you show up late and you're dirty, maybe you're rude because you haven't had your cup of coffee. Doesn't matter if the house looks great when it's done. The customer is not going to be inclined to give you a review because the service was just okay. Yep. It doesn't matter how good the painting was there. I, customers are more inclined to give a good review based on your customer service rather than the finished product. Yep. I see it hundred percent of the time. Right. People Sometimes, don't, don't understand that. That's exactly the same, the same kind of person who's saying, Hey, why would you use a laser pointer? You mm -hmm. can just know it. They're only focused on fulfilling whatever that particular job is. They're not in any way being empathetic to the experience mm -hmm. of the homeowner they're interacting with. Sometimes the reviews we get mention that the painting was, was done well, but more often than not, they say things like, Brad, the owner, showed up uh, on time. Actually, he was a little early for the estimate. He delivered the estimate when he said he would. Uh, Ron, our, the project manager, was excellent with communication. I never had to wonder when was my turn in line. He coordinated everything for me. The crew, uh, they did a great job painting, but man, Robert and Bozzo could not have been more kind and more respectful of my house while they were there. Right. So yeah, maybe they mentioned, oh, the painting looked good, but they mentioned five other things that were fa obviously far more important to them. Yeah. So, uh, and, and this is something that I mentioned during Nick's masterclass during a question and answer session uh, last Friday was when I go out and do an estimate, I don't even talk about the quality of our painting work. I don't, that's a table stake. Like if you, if you can't provide uh, a quality finished paint job, 
then you, you shouldn't be in the paint business. Every yeah. if you look at a finished Ellison painting job versus a finished Nick Slavic, Jason Paris, Joe Schmo down the road who's got a van, the finished painting product usually is not going to vary much. But what is going to vary is that that professionalism, that communication, that actual customer service from from the moment that they are introduced to your company to the moment they write you a check and the job's done, right? Those are the things that people really care about and you can sell uh, at a premium. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I like to say that like actually having a solid uh, painting service that you offer, that's the price of entry. Like if, if you don't right. have that, you shouldn't even be, you shouldn't, what are you doing? Cause you can't even, you can't even produce what you're selling. Right. Um, pretty much everyone can. I mean, obviously there are the nightmares, but but saying, well, well, we're going to do two coats. We're going to do this or that. So is every, everyone else is saying the same thing. So mm-hmm. when you, and you know, us working with companies across the country, we see that they think that these things are are different. We have to be like, listen, that's not mm-hmm. different, right? That That's the same. But when mm-hmm. you start showing up and being professional, when they don't expect it, because most painting companies are not professional. We're all here, this mm-hmm. professionalization of the industry. That's what we're focused on. When you show up and you raise that bar and you carry, you, know, you kind of hold your, hold their hand throughout the process. Now people are willing to pay you money because they trust you, they like you, they enjoy interacting with you, and they know. Guess what? If there is a problem, now they know you're you're actually going to take care of it. You or Rod, like it's going to get handled. They're not sitting there on the edge of their seats. Are they going to steal from me? Are they going right. to screw it up? And they're never going to come back once they have my money. There's no no more of that concern. You got it. So what I've spoken about is how do you how do you earn a five star review? But the, the, the follow-up question to that is how do you actually get one? Sometimes people will ask, Hey, how do I leave your review? Will that help you? Yes, of course, please do. If you're not asking consistently, uh, and, and directly for a review from these customers, you will most likely not get one, no matter how happy they were with your service. They may not, may not even occur to them that a review is something that might help you. If they don't work in a, in a service industry, they don't know that a Google review is going to help you at all. You know, they're working at, they're working at, even if they work at Google, I actually had a customer that worked at Google. I'd ask him for a Google review because he doesn't work in that, right? He's not in the trades. They might so, have found you on Google, but yet they're, they're, that's not going to be in their right. mind. They're just going to be thinking about the paint job. Exactly. So every single customer that we um, we finished the job, well, most customers we finished the job. <laughs> if if we did provide them the exceptional- they're crazy, you might not want to ask. Or if we drop the ball in a couple areas and we're or not that. entirely sure that they're super duper happy, um, 95% of the time we will ask them for review. Uh, Drip Jobs does it very easily. You, you put your, um, your review request link right into Drip Jobs. And then when we mark the job as complete, they automatically get that text message saying, hey, we're so happy we could help you out. What would be, be a big help for us is if you could just click this link and leave us a five-star review on Google. Make it as easy as possible. When we're there, uh, when Ron's there doing the final walk around, that's when he mentions it to them. And then he immediately follows up with that text message. Uh, the, the proof is in the pudding. Again, yeah. 50 reviews out of 150 projects, that's that's quite a bit. I mean, 31 out of three is, I think, astronomically high yep. for getting reviews. Yep. No, it's excellent. Do the right things, provide the great service, and then ask. Ask mm-hmm. and follow up and make it easy. People are not going to want to jump through hoops. You know, we've all we've all had an experience where we had a, like a really great experience. Like, man, I want to leave that person a review. And then we did it. I know mm-hmm. I have definitely done that before. And it's because it wasn't made easy to me. Certain things came up. I started running errands. Something else entered my mind. Next thing I know, I just never did it. Whereas if they had sent me a a message and, oh, I click it, it just take me 30 seconds, go and select the five stars, write write a comment like I'm writing a text on my phone. 
and boom, it's done. Right. And you can't just tell people, hey, can you just go on Google and leave us a review? Because they not may work. not be able to find there. It, now they have to Google you. They have to, they they see your little Google business profile. Now they have to figure out where, well, where can I actually write a review? I can read them, but where do I write them? You have to get them that link. Give them the link. Yeah. Yep. It needs to just pop up. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. How do you handle it? So you talked about 95%, 5%. Sometimes things are, things don't go perfectly. Mm -hmm. How do you handle customer issues? Well, the uh, the number one thing I've done is hire a project manager to handle it so I don't Just have to. pay him right? well because that's his problem. <laughs> Part of his job yeah. responsibility. And of course, I, I can get called in. Sometimes people just want to speak to the owner. Uh, I was the one doing the estimate. They want to speak to me. Ron is phenomenal at handling customer service issues. Occasionally, he'll say, hey, you might just jump in on this one. I'm happy to. Um, the number one thing we do when we have a, a customer issue is we will accept responsibility. You know, The first thing you do is you put the figurative arm around their shoulder and say, listen, I am I know that this that you're frustrated. I'm really sorry that you're you're feeling this way right now. Let's let's figure out how we can how we can fix this. I thought the first thing you do is pull out the contract and say, "No, you said this." <laughs> Sometimes you got to do that, but that's definitely not step it's 1. It's not the first one. Yeah. Step step 1 is letting them know, "Hey, I'm a good guy. You're a good guy. I'm entering into this conversation with good faith to to come up with the best possible solution. I'm going to assume that you are too. And I've actually used those words when I come on site for someone that's not happy. Say, so, you know, I, I've said, you know, I know we're about to, we're probably about to have kind of a tough conversation, but I want you to know that I'm here in good faith. I want to make sure that this, uh, this is corrected so that when I leave here, I can count you as a satisfied customer. And I know that you're probably upset, but I'm going to assume that you're operating in good faith and you have best of intentions with me. Can we, can we assume that before we start? They say, yes. All right. Well, let's get to it then. Tell me about the situation. How can we make this work? Yeah. The It totally takes down their defenses. Any anger or frustration that they had usually will, will subside. And then you can have just a normal, rational conversation about what the issue is. It's like a psychological and, Jedi trick that you just did. Right, right. It's, They're preparing uh, for combat and you just like, you just redid it. That's right. Uh, and it, and it, if, if I didn't do that, my natural inclination uh, because I'm an Enneagram eight, which is a challenger. If, if I, if I perceive an injustice, if someone accuses my crew of doing something wrong and I don't think they did, my natural inclination is to put up, put up my dukes and like, all right, let's fight it out. Right. And so I, for me too, it's let's deescalate. Let's, let's operate under in good faith and start there. And, uh, and then after that, it's re review the problem. You know, well, we're not happy with how the windows turned out. Okay, well, what what aren't you happy with? Well, they just they don't look they don't look good from here. Okay, well, to be fair, you know, here's some pictures, some before pictures. They didn't look good before either. We're not window restoration specialists. I kind of told your husband that this is going to be the final finish, but I agree with you. It doesn't look very good. So, you know, what are you hoping to do? You you, you allow them to tell you what they what is what is the ideal solution to them, and maybe start there. Well, we want the windows to look look good. All right. Well, un unfortunately, that's not a service that I'm going to be able to provide. Uh, so, does does that mean that you know we can we can take that part off the invoice? We can just stop work where it is right now and and move on to something else. There's a million different types of solutions for a million different types of problems, but it helps to find out what their ideal solution is. Sometimes it's it's a matter of I just wanted to tell you that I'm unhappy. Yeah. Okay. You're heard. I hear you. I don't blame you. I'd be unhappy if that was my finished product too. Sometimes it's as easy as um, I'd like a, you know, a little bit of discount off the final invoice. Okay. Now, before I say, well, I can give you 15% off. I say, well, what, what level of discount would, would have you feeling good about this? If you can take $300 off, I'd feel good. 
And in my brand, I'm like $300. That's 2%. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I'm happy to do that. Uh, I never really offer a discount until I find out that's something that they want and what level of discount they might be expecting. But this all comes back to accepting responsibility for the things that were our responsibility. But also, I think it's important that the customer is always right mentality is not necessarily correct, in my opinion. And maybe I'm a bad business owner for this, but if a customer is wrong, hopefully I've I've garnished enough good faith with them that I can tell them, well, listen, you know, listen, Jim, I told you when I came out for this estimate that this surface, we were going to scrape it, but because it's so old, it's been peeled so many times and painted so many times, it's going to have some scarring on it. I know it doesn't look good, but if you look at this picture I took during the estimate, I said, hey, we're going to scrape here. Scarring is going to be visible. It's not going to look that great. And you accepted the estimate knowing that that was going to be the finished solution. So do you understand why I'm confused here? Why uh, I, I don't understand why they're, why you're so upset when I tried to paint as clear of an expectation for the finished product as possible. Does that make sense, Jim? Yeah. Yes. So I have the power to push back when the customer is actually wrong. You got to do it delicately. You can't you know, tell them they're idiots, even though sometimes they're acting like one. Um, but it is about accepting ultimate ownership paying for rugs to be cleaned when we spill paint. It's, you know, paying for a damaged window if it's something that we damaged. And oftentimes, Brandon, uh, it's killed me, but there's been times when I paid for stuff that I was pretty darn sure wasn't our fault. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of things, I would rather pay $300 to have a rug cleaned than to have uh, a, a nasty Google review. Because when you when you jump on it, you say, you know what? I, I, I honestly, like... Carlos has been with me for a very long time. I trust him. He's a man of integrity. He said he didn't do it, but I, we can't say who did it. I'm happy to just pay for it. If I if I take care of this, can I count you as a uh, satisfied customer? They said, yes, you can. And oftentimes I'll get a review from that. Yeah. And those reviews are often better rather than saying, oh yeah, Brad was great. Ron was great. The painters are great. It's, hey, we had this issue on the job where we found some, you know, some mud on one of the rugs. And we couldn't tell who it was from, but Brad actually paid to have the rug cleaned, even though he didn't think it was his fault. Really excellent customer service. Yeah. That's the type of review that I want people to read before they have me over for an estimate. Cause they know if something does go wrong, Ellison painting is going to make it right one way or another. And that's what people are willing to pay for. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it comes, that's the peace of mind that people are buying. That's what you're selling to people. Um, and anyone can come paint their house, but they need to trust. They need to know that you've got their back. Yep. So I had a, I had a situation. This was one of our first jobs this past summer where we were painting the side of a garage and it was in this very narrow space next to a, um, a wood fence. And so the guys actually had to get in a ladder from a neighbor's property over the fence to get to the top um, uh, of the soffit to paint it. When they were spraying, it was, there was a bunch of rain right after some, some, uh, paint actually washed under the fence and onto this guy's brand new, uh, artificial turf in their backyard, like literally brand new. He had just spent $6,000 to have it installed. He was very, very upset. Well, I responded immediately. I said, I'll be out there within the next hour or so to take a look at it. I stopped out. I said, okay, I'm pretty confident. My guys can, can fix this. We can be out here tomorrow. Um, uh, if we can get it all squared away. Are you going to be okay? He said, hundred percent guys get out there the next day. It literally takes them 10 minutes sprayed down a little bit of goof off. No evidence that paint was ever on his artificial turf. The guy's ecstatic. Uh, I went to the liquor store, bought him a hundred dollar bottle of bourbon, dropped it off his front porch. And I got a really, really nice text later in the day from him. Say you really didn't have to do that. You guys responded so quickly. It was amazing. Um, 
uh, I'm going to be painting my house next year. I'd really like to get an estimate from you guys for that. Yeah. So I turned it from like this, this irate phone call about our idiot painters getting paint on his brand new artificial turf to getting a sole job for the next year, simply because I didn't respond like, it's just wash it off. Just take a hose, rinse it off. Use some goof off. It'll come off. Why? I'm not sending my guys out. No, I not only did I get the guys out there for a supplemental visit, bought them a hundred dollar bottle of bourbon just to kind of ease his nerves. And I got a new customer. You just owned it. I love mm-hmm. that. Um, cool. So we're, we're almost out of time. Uh, this, this one's been awesome, but I know one of the, one of the last things that you and I discussed talking about was, was Sherwin Williams relationship mm-hmm. with, with Sherwin Williams. Um, and the benefits of that love to get, get your feedback on that. Yeah. Now I can speak about my relationship with Sherwin Williams and this, this would apply to someone that is using Benjamin Moore or fine paints of Europe or whatever, whoever your go-to paint manufacturer is Sherwin Williams, I think has an unmatched, uh, rep program, their, their paint rep program. I mean, we get so much attention from my rep, Brandon, who's just, just a phenomenal guy, uh, we, we primary, I mean, 95% of the paint we use is Sherwin Williams, uh, of course, because we buy so much volume, we get discounted pricing, which I don't even really care about the pricing because my customers pay for paint anyway, but the, I've been able to leverage that relationship with Sherwin Williams in a lot of different ways. One is they actually paid whatever it costs, almost $6,000 to have Nick, uh, Nick Slavic and Jason Paris fly in last week for that masterclass. So it, not only do I get to see my friends, of course, but uh, we get to, we had about a hundred local painters there and the local, the local painting industry in Metro Detroit took a big step forward because of that visit. Uh, it allowed, allowed me to kind of establish some clout as one of the industry leaders in Metro Detroit. Um, got to meet a lot of potential subcontractors through that event. And it's all because Sherwin-Williams likes me. They trust me. And so when I presented this idea of, hey, I want to bring Nick Slavic in for a masterclass, would you help me co-host this? And they did it. And that's above, you know, the the shirts they pay for a crew shirts. Um, they refer subs to me. That's maybe the most important thing they do is when a when a sub potential subcontractor goes into one of the local stores, I get, I think I get first dibs on almost all of them. They know how well I treat my subcontractors. They've talked to my subs. They, they're so happy working with us that they want to refer these potential subcontractors to me over someone else because they know they'll get taken care of. Um, but one of the things that Nick mentioned at the masterclass on Friday, which, which struck me, and I hope it strikes other people too, is a lot of us ask for things from our paint reps. Like I did ask for them to sponsor the masterclass. I do ask them for shirts. But a, a lot of painting contractors are not then asking, you know, what can we do for Sherwin-Williams? What can we do for our paint rep? Well, I'll tell you, the, the first thing I do for for Brandon is I buy a lot of paint. And that, that makes his numbers look really good. When I first met Brandon and when he was assigned to be my paint rep, I told him my goal was to be in the top 10 of his customers by the end of the year. Well, within four months, we're, at, we're actually his number one customer. That's awesome. So I'm very loyal. Um, I'm very loyal to Sherwin Williams. They're loyal to me. They make my life easy. Um, so I, I think part of it is it's a give and take relationship, just like my relationship with my subs. I scratch Brandon's back. He scratches mine. I don't hound him about price reductions. I don't complain about things. So he knows when I come to him with a request, I'm almost certainly going to get that request granted because just like they make my life easy in running my company, I think I make Brandon's life easy 
as a paint rep. Yeah. Love it, man. So many aspects to running a successful company. So many, so many things to take care of, but I think yeah. this was, was pretty holistic. Is there anything else that you want to add uh, in terms of, of today's focus? Uh, I would just say uh, we're the natural tendency of humans is to kind of live in the now uh, and sometimes way worse is to live in the past. You know, there's, there's certain ways that people have always operated. And I think that's particularly true within the painting industries. I've always done things this way. I've always done things that way. If you are in a growth mindset, if you're really trying to make a big change in your company, it's, you need to forget about the past and you need to look forward and say, what do I want the company to look like in the future? And that future could be three months from now. It could be a year from now, three years, five years, 10 years from now, if you're really aspirational and, and start making decisions based on that. Stop making decisions based on what has or hasn't worked in the past or what you've done in the past or what you're doing right now. If you really want to change the trajectory of your company, you need to start formulating new ideas on how to run your business differently and start implementing systems and processes that are actually going to help you scale from where you're at now to where you want to be that one, three, five years from now. Yeah. We all get, we, we all just get stuck, man. Right. And that's the, that's the benefit of shows like yours, Brandon, is that it, it allows us to constantly critique what we're doing as a business. I was, I used to listen to a lot of like true crime podcasts when I was driving around doing sales and stuff. I can't believe that I'm not bored at the number of painting podcasts I listen to on a daily basis. I think I've listened to every single one of yours. I, I tune into Eric Fosnock's training calls on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Uh, all the all the different shows that the PCA puts out through Overdrive. I never get bored. And even though a lot of it is is very similar in nature, it seems like every time I listen to something, I get a nugget. I'm like, man, I how did I never think about that? <laughs> Like friggin' uh, Michael Sutton, the, the door knocking, right? 50% of his business in his first year, one, so one and a quarter million dollars worth of business simply from door knocking. Like, man, how did, how did I never think about that? All right, so now I have a conversation scheduled with Michael Sutton to figure out yeah. something that he thinks would work in Michigan and how would I do it? I love that. Um, yeah, so it's, it's so valuable, these types of shows, especially yours, Brandon, what you're doing. Um, it's helped me to have meet people and to get really great ideas on how to structure my business for scale. And I appreciate that, man. Do that. Yeah. And you're uh for anyone listening, note that he's also taken action. So he's listened to this stuff, even though Brad's been in the industry for years, highly successful, he's learning. But then when he learns, when he, when he learned about Michael Sutton's door knocking and how successful I was in year one, he didn't just say, Oh yeah, I should get to that one day. It's like, well, how would I apply it to this exact market? And then reached out to Michael Sutton. That's the whole mm -hmm. point of the Facebook group. That's the whole point of, of PCA. I mean, that that's connect, learn from each other and learn how to apply it to your business and take, be action oriented. You got it. And for those listening, if, if I've said anything today that you have further questions on, please feel free to reach out directly. Um, you can do it through Brandon's Facebook group. Uh, you can message me directly on Facebook. I'm happy to, um, to, to converse with anyone and, and share whatever minimal expertise or knowledge I have. All right, Brad. Well, this was the end of episode three, brother. We got one more coming up and uh, thanks, man. Got you, man. Appreciate you. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. 
Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.